The Rich and Mike Show, Flagler County's hometown sports show. Here are your hosts, Rich Carroll and Mike Licio. Yes, it's another episode of the Rich and Mike Sports Show. Good Saturday morning, Flagler County. And a good Saturday morning to you, Mike Licio. Hello, Flagler County. Rich? Yes. <laughs> Sports season is here. It's here. It, it, Finally. It, it's been too long, right? <laughs> I'm sure my wife feels the same way. I ah. think she's ready for me to get out of the house after being <laughs> home for the last three months. I hear you. Yeah, man. Oh, my goodness. And it got started with the, the Hall of Fame game last night. Football is back. Quick question. Did you watch the entire game? I didn't watch any of the game. I was working on some oh. <laughs> um, radio stuff last night. And, you know, when I saw that Aaron Rodgers was in a T-shirt, I said, okay, there's nothing for me to glean from this. I've watched enough of Zach Wilson play that watching him play against a bunch of scrubs was not going to hey, be Hey, he three for five passes. He threw five passes, a 57-yard completion. That was called by offensive coordinator Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Listen, he said he was going to make Rodgers' life difficult, and I guess he's inserted his name into the quarterback competition, has he? Oh, yeah. Not? <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen him after the game. He has a backpack on. He looks like an 11-year-old, but uh, he was definitely so happy with all the mentorship from, from Aaron Rodgers saying he's going out of his way to help him. So that's good to hear. I, who knows what – like you said, Zach Wilson's been terrible. But anyway, uh, football is officially back with the Hall of Fame game. You just hope nobody gets hurt. But it was a game of third-string players. Uh, and, of course, here locally, Mike, we are three weeks away, 20 days away from the start of the high school football season. Friday Night Lights right here on WNZF. 7 o'clock kickoffs every week starting in 20 days. You know, this time of year... I, I don't get enough sleep. I'm over-caffeinated, and maybe that's why I'm so excited for this season. I think it has a chance to be a special year here in Flagler County. We'll talk about FPC in a minute, but I want to start with Matanzas. I talked to Coach Forrest the other night, and I said, you know, you're going to have to talk me off the ledge because I am really, really excited about this Pirate team. I think, you know, they're going to have a healthy Jordan Mills. They're going to have a healthy Daquan Evans. Shamarian Gaines is back. Daniel DeFalco has transferred from FPC to Matanzas, so they have weapons, they have depth. I think there's a lot to be excited about with this program. And first, I'll let Matt Forrest tell us all about how his team is firing in all cylinders. I think this is the closest we've looked in our practice tempo to what I was used to playing and coaching in college. We're getting a lot of plays ran. We're getting a lot of individual time done, 20 minutes of special teams. So very impressed with our efficiency and our energy of our kids. Now, we'll talk about that in just a second, but part of the reason for that is that he has a record number of kids in the program this year. I think we got 100 on the roster or 101 on the roster, so been very pleased with that. The guys that, that we thought were going to be really good ball players for us are guys that we thought could be key backups or, or contributors are, are being exactly that. They're being solid backups, and we're, we're able to rotate a lot of guys in. So they have a lot of depth this year, and so – I think that's the big reason for expectations to be high. They've had some talented players in the past, but what we saw last year was when they lost, now any team that loses 13 week one starters is not going to be the same team. But we saw that there were some issues with depth, but the kids are, he's in year four. The kids are now settled into the program. They know he's going to be around. There's some stability 
for the program after having four coaches in five years at one point. And I'm very excited about this Matanzas team. I think their district's very tough, but I think that there's a lot of winnable games on their schedule. I expect about seven to eight wins for Matanzas this year. And I can't wait to get that started. They start week one with Groveland South Lake High School. Coach Forrest, he, they did not have a good year last year, South Lake. But Coach Forrest said, you know, they're a team that can reload very quickly because they come from an area where there's a lot of available talent. So that game could be a challenge. But I really feel good about the Pirates this year. And I couldn't wait to get out to Matanzas, and I can't wait for the season to start. They have a scrimmage next Friday night at 4.30 in the afternoon. They'll have their intra-squad scrimmage, so if you want to head out to there, that will be available to the public free of charge. So I suggest that if you want to take a look at how good the Pirates team is, you get out there Friday night. And I'll tell you what, uh, you mentioned the tough district that the Pirates are playing in, and and that was the issue for them last year, right? They were 1-3 in in the district uh, you remember that that game against Tokoy, and uh, they were obliterated in that game last year, right? I think it was forty-seven to twenty-two, something like mm-hmm. that. They just got smoked, and uh, overall five and five record last year. And they did a good job on the road, but within the district, that was their issue. And if you look at it, even with all the injuries you mentioned, it was a pretty good year for the Matanzas Pirates last year. And I think we talked about that a lot. How no matter what. With all the injuries they had to deal with and and the setbacks, they still fought hard for Coach Forrest every single week, and and the record tells you that. And if you get a a bit of a turnaround within the district for the Matanzas Pirates, it could be a much different year, and and we'll be talking about a successful uh, Pirate campaign in 2023. And, you know, Tokoy is going to be a tough game week one, or week two, but I think that's a game they can win. I feel pretty good about their chances against Gainesville. But again, they're a school that could reload pretty quickly because they do have East Side nearby. They do have Buholtz nearby. And so you might get some transfers that make that team come out well, as a different team than they were last year. Let me ask you this, Mike. Uh, speaking about the district, right? Who are the teams? So you're talking about St. Augustine. And you mentioned to, to Forrest, you said, uh, the one loss you guys get this year probably comes against St. Augustine. They lost to them last year, 42-7. to You know, that was another tough district game. And, um, you know, if you look at the district matches matchups this year, who are the teams that they can beat within the district to be a contender? Oh, I think they can beat everybody but St. Augustine. And I don't want to put that out there too brashly, but, you know, I think Menendez is definitely a winnable game. They're a team in transition. You know, Clay has struggled to get off the mat. They were a playoff team a couple of years ago, but they've had some struggles these last couple of years. I think that's a game that even being completely depleted on the road, they had a chance to win that game last year, and I think they will win that game at Matanzas this year. And then St. Augustine's the only wild card. So Clay, Gainesville, and in my opinion, Clay, Gainesville, and Menendez. Gainesville might give them a little trouble, but I think those are the three games they'll win. I I don't want to – I love the Pirates, and I'm very excited about them. This is going to come off as biased St. Augustine High School, Mike, but you know this is St. Augustine's best team since 2018 that won 12-1 and won and won to the regional um, final – I think this is going to be a big year for St. Augustine. I think they're on a collision course with Mainland for that 3S regional. And I think they're going to be tough to stop. You know, I think 
Matanzas is going to have to play an absolutely perfect game in that one, and it's possible. It really is, and you know, hopefully this motivates them to go out and do that. <laughs> oh yeah, but I think that's I think that's going to be the tough spot in their district is St. Augustine. And that was a non-contest last year, forty-two to seven. Gainesville was the team that they beat in the district, twenty-two to fourteen. Uh, tough game against Menendez. I, I think we thought they had a chance in that game last year. They lost eighteen to six, and the clay game was pretty close at twenty-eight to twenty-three. So if they can turn though, even if you lose, you lose one district game, and you win the other ones, you you flip that record from one and three to three and one. Uh, you have a good chance to to make a postseason run. I think they're definitely a playoff team. I don't think there's any question about that in my mind, which I know is a very bold prediction here on August 5th, but that's how I feel. I feel like they are definitely a playoff team. And, you know, if they can beat St. Augustine, they're going to be a district champion in my mind without question. So looking forward to the pirates. I got also got out um, Tuesday night to FPC and caught up with Daniel fish. I talked to him a little bit about his first week of practice. I've been pleased with the work that we put in so far. I thought today was uh, a very good day. We had an awesome summer conditioning program in place, and the guys showed up every day, worked really hard. Obviously, we're we're looking to take the next step each day. We think we're going to surprise a lot of people with what we have in place. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people, too. And they've got some holdovers from last year, and they've also had some newcomers join the program. I think our guys that have been here for a long time really did a good job embracing some of the, the new faces that they saw on campus and welcomed them in the brotherhood and also kind of showed them the culture we're trying to build. And they've embraced those guys really well, and, and they're out there competing against each other in practice. The landscape of FPC has changed dramatically since the summer, um, since the spring. They had a lot of transfers out. Um, R.J. Hill transferred to Mainland along with D.J. Murray. And they had Caden Gonzalez, who had never played in a tackle game. He was the only quarterback available for the spring game. But since then, um, Darius Simmons has transferred from Father Lopez. Cole Walker has transferred back from Nice. And we got to see Cole Walker a little bit against Matantis in the spring game. And Cole Walker looked pretty good. So there's going to be a lot of competition. And it's not just at that position. But you, you see FPC – People kind of, you know, everybody kind of flees a program when they switch coaches. And I think that as the word got out about Daniel Fish, you saw some people come back into the fold, and that's good to see. I think FPC's chances this year are going to rely on two players because they're going to be a very young team at a lot of positions. I think it comes down to Marcus Mitchell, who is completely healthy um, after rehabbing over the summer. He, I expect him to be a 1,000-yard rusher this year, and I think the FPC – Offense is going to go as far as Marcus Mitchell takes them. And also Colby Cronk, who is a man possessed. And I think Colby Cronk is going to be a double-digit sack guy this year. I think he has a chance to make some all-state teams. I look forward to seeing him on the other side of the ball. And we'll see what FPC can do. Because the district is a very balanced district. You have Nice, who went 2-8 and eight last year and lost one of the top quarterbacks in the state in the process. You have Tokoy who's transitioning to a new coach, a very good coach, my friend Zach Harbison over at Tokoy, but they're transitioning from a run-heavy offense that they had last year to more of an air raid-type offense. Um, Ponavidra is trying to avoid missing the playoffs for the third time in a row for the first time since the school opened in 2009. And so I think that's a winnable district for FPC. And then, you know, they've got a pretty – a pretty balanced schedule. You know, university is going to be tough. The land's going to be tough. 
celebration should be an easy win. So, you know, FPC, it's it's going to be interesting to watch because FPC is kind of a wild card right now. Where I can, you could convince me that they could go three and seven, you can convince me they could go seven and three, just depending on how the ball bounces. Because I think they play a schedule where they're pretty balanced with all their opponents. Yeah, and you, you get a started in which we have on on this station here coming up on Friday the twenty fifth, a battle of bulldogs. We're traveling down to see the Swanee Bulldogs and the FPC Bulldogs get the season started. And last year, the season started in similar fashion. It was a home game, um, and FPC won that one 38-10 week one. Do you see a repeat uh, performance here? Are they that much better still? I guess it's hard to tell. when You, you just never know with a team with that kind of turnover what to expect. But uh, last year, it was a pretty easy game week one for the FPC Bulldogs over the Swanee Bulldogs. I talked to Daniel Fish when I was there Tuesday night. I asked him if he had gone back and watched the tape of that game. And he was in agreement with me that I was a four touchdown win, but Swanee shot themselves in the foot a lot of times in that game and, you know, had a lot of opportunities. They were moving the ball from the 20 to about the 40. They were, you know, their own 20 into the plus 40. They were moving the ball pretty good and they, with drives would stall, they'd have turnovers, they'd have penalties, and they really took themselves out of a lot of opportunities. And I think Fish understands that FPC is going to have to play a lot cleaner. That's a Swanee team that went on a run after that. They won 10 games last year after losing the FPC. They made it all the way to the regional final of the playoffs. So that game's going to be a lot closer than the score would indicate. I've got a fun fact for you about that game, Rich. I think this is WNZ. This is my 14th season of WNZF. And I believe it's the 17th season that WNZF has had Flagler County football. This will be the longest road trip that we've ever made to go to a game, Rich. Look at that. <laughs> Making history. I'm excited about it. It should be fun. It's a long trip, and, and hopefully it's a happy trip to see FPC get the season started off right, as you say, here in football county, because uh, it is football county, and we want to see them get off to a good start. But uh, I guess if they won the district championship, that would be two in a row for FPC, right? Back-to-back yes, district they're, champions. They're trying to, and they're trying to make the playoffs for the sixth time in the last seven years as well. So, And that was fun know. last year. Right? You, you got out to Bartram Trail. They make the playoffs. And look, odd situation. They were district champions last year with a 2-0 and record in the district. So a little odd, but, but district champion is district champion. And you get to the playoffs and, and uh, Bartram Trail – and the whole thing, and uh, you're, you're out there, you're excited about the game, and the Bulldogs get off to a 14 nothing lead in the in the first quarter, and you're saying, hey, wait a minute, this is uh, something special might be developing here, but then uh, Bartram Trail, 37 unanswered points. FPC doesn't score again until the fourth quarter. They end up losing that game 50-20, to but that playoff game last year, Mike, uh, at 14 nothing. In the first quarter, we, we were feeling pretty good about it. I called two playoff games, and St. Augustine blew a 28-6 lead, and FPC dropped a 14-0 lead, and you had belief. I mean, we were kind of looking at each other, and Chris Boyle for the News Journal was in the press box with us, and we're kind of all looking like, is this actually happening? And then the answer was no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> um, and that Bartram team, they had a tough break. They lost their... Next playoff game, they lost by one point and they gave up, or excuse me, one touchdown. They lost 20 to 14. 
They gave up a fourth and on third and 18 in the first quarter, they gave up a 22 yard run and you Holtz ended up scoring on that drive. And then up 14, 13 late in the game on fourth and 28, their quarterback, you Holtz quarterback, Creed Whitmore, who is a Mississippi state commit was able to scramble for 31 yards on fourth and 28. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> and, and you, and they lose that game by one point and Mike, they were undefeated going into that game and nothing, they were. nothing hurts more than that. Right. That must've been awful. Right. Oof. You know, and that's, a, and that's another team that this year that for Bartram trail, everybody's pretty much coming back except for one of their running backs. And honestly, the guy who's replacing him is somebody, a, a gentleman named Arthur Lewis, who I've covered since he was in middle school who's probably better than the guy he's replaced. So mm. that's going to be, a, you know, hopefully FPC makes the playoffs and we're able to avoid that Bartram team because they are going to be good. We've got a lot of other stuff going on in the county. You know, all of a sudden we went from it's feast or famine, isn't it, this time of year, Rich? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. You never know what to expect. But there's always hope at this time of the year, too. Absolutely. And so I'll catch you up on a quick things. Um, three FPC wrestlers, Tiana Freeze, Christine Borgman, and sort of fam- friend of the family, Kendall Bibla, all won gold medals at the AAU Junior Olympics in wrestling last month. Alexandra Gazzoli, who you'll hear from on this show next week, she won the Florida Amateur in golf last month. And then Matanzas High School hired a new girls basketball coach, and his name is Travis Boone. Travis inherits a program that's kind of in flux. They had a 14 and 11 season, one of their best seasons in school history four years ago. And in the three years since, they were 11 and 52, plus a 1 and 21 season last year. So Travis Boone has a big mountain to climb. And as you'll find out, since I, when I, and as you'll find out, when I spent two minutes with him, he's ready for that challenge. Coach, congratulations on the new job. Thank you. What made you decide to interview for the coaching job at Matanzas? One thing that has always been a passion of mine is basketball, period. Part of it for applying for the Matanzas job is, one, been around the program. Um, My daughter is currently a a student and athlete at Matanzas, so I've been around the program for the last three, four (laughs) years-ish. So uh, very familiar with uh, a lot of the coaches that are there. Uh, familiar with the program and the girls that have gone through the program. So for me, it's a, a situation where I, I, I get an opportunity to perhaps coach my, my daughter at a high school level, as well as kind of help build this program into something bigger in the f- near future, hopefully. Now, what's the first thing you have to do to change the culture at Matanzas? Or do you need to change the culture? The first thing for me, I think, is to get the girls to buy in into a, a winning basketball program. It's been a program where girls' basketball is probably not very marketable at one point. It's like trying to get girls to be full in 100% just on basketball has been an issue the past couple of years. So what I would like to do is to hopefully get these girls to understand, like, this is a it's going to be a fun environment, fun culture, as well as something for them to build for the next however many years this program will continue to grow. Now, how did you get into coaching? When did you first start coaching? Coaching started for me pretty much right after I ended college back in 2005. Um, I started like traveling coaching, like AAU circuit. So since 2006 to 
2007. I've been working with other coaches from an AAU perspective back in St. Louis, uh, where I started off helping with coaching boys. And then as my daughter got older, then I started helping her uh, or coaching with her teams throughout the, the years, even current. And my son also, who's a current Matanzas high school student-athlete, also began to enjoy basketball. So I also started coaching in that perspective as well. What's it like to get to take something you love so dearly and pass that on to your children and teach your children? Oh, well, one, like I said before, prior um, in the beginning of this interview, is that like I absolutely love basketball, right? So it's a huge huge passion and hobby <laughs> of mine um and it's something that I, I don't think i'll ever ever lose that passion for for coaching so to watch your children get into a hobby or sport that you absolutely love kind of warms the heart for me as a coach and as a dad because now i have this connection with these two children who playing basketball and then I can teach them different things at a different level as a coach, but also bring it to them from a father perspective um, as they're growing up in my household. Now I have a third child who's playing volleyball. So that as she's an athlete, but it's a sport that <laughs> I'm not too familiar with, but it still builds a bond except in the, in the coaching as well as fatherhood aspect, but just having two kids currently who love the game as much as I do, who willing to work hard, put in that extra time and effort, I enjoy every minute of it. I understand how you feel about having a volleyball player. My daughter was a gymnast, and um, <laughs> all I know is that <laughs> falling is bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about your playing career what kind of baller were you yeah so uh played high school ball varsity and also played three years of college basketball at maryville university in st louis missouri um at the time maryville was a d3 college but since then they've moved to d2 from my personal opinion about myself <laughs> i played all positions in college we were very guard heavy so I was more of a, a two, but I ended up playing a lot of four, three, two, and one. Not necessarily a center, because I necessarily wasn't tall enough as a six-three player. I pretty much played every position in college. I'm sure that's helped you as a coach, having a player's perspective on just about every position on the floor. Oh, absolutely. One thing that I tell kids, you know, regardless if I'm coaching or not, it's one thing they need to learn about. About, about sports, period, right? But basketball specifically. In my opinion, 90 to 95% of this game can absolutely be mental, right? So if me at a 6'3", technically a guard, has to play in the post against a bigger guy, my main objective is to make moves that are quicker and faster than that particular opponent. I don't necessarily have to be the best athlete in that position, or the best shooter, or best defender. I just need to outsmart my opponent. And once most kids understand that the IQ of the game is so important, then it changes their aspects and their playing ability of being a better player. So for me, the approach I like to have this year is to raise the awareness and IQ of players here as a coach. 
the high school level. Oh, there you go, Coach Boone, a new Matanzas girls basketball coach. And that's a great goal is to raise the IQ at this level because that's what you're doing. You're teaching the game. And if you could get better basketball players, smarter basketball players, maybe that could lead to more success as you uh, as you get to higher levels of the game. So uh, very cool. Also ahead of his time as a player, a positionless basketball player, something we see a lot at the highest level of the sport. Does anybody in the NBA have a position anymore after LeBron James? I don't think so. So uh, interesting interview there, Mike. Yeah, and we talked a lot about the NBA after that. And, you know, he mentioned some of his influences, a big Kobe Bryant fan. He and I both agree that Jordan is the GOAT. Both have a love for Zach Randolph. He didn't have much love for Patrick Ewing. Happy birthday, Patrick Ewing, by the way. (laughs) But, you know, I'm excited about Coach Boone being at Matanzas because I think there's a lot of potential there. His daughter Taylor plays on the team. And it's going to be nice to have a coach named Boone that's actually worth rooting for. (laughs) What You're not into Boone? You know, I don't know. Uh, how much I blame the Yankees' lack of success this year on Boone as much as I blame it on this guy, Brian Cashman, talking about the trade deadline. It's been an extended sample now of not being a better team or as good as you guys had hoped to be. What makes you think it can be turned around in these last few months? Well, I mean, I do think we do have the talent and we do have the capabilities. Uh, Saying it is one thing. I know watching it lately hasn't been anything close to what you'd feel comfortable with. Uh, but we had to measure that with, again, what the ultimately options that were presented to us on, you know, I know I'm sure some people out there, you know, tear it down, sell, and other people are out there, add something big. Well, I couldn't add, there wasn't a big thing to add, and, and um, to be quite honest, and then, uh, you know, that was going to solve the immediate problems that we have. And then, um, and then in terms of the sell stuff that, you know, there's certainly a lot of players here that are talented that, playoff teams would like to get their hands on but in terms of what trying to pry that away from us wasn't really worth it you know it was like i'd rather just keep it and take a shot all right there you go brian cashman yankees recently lose two out of three to baltimore two out of three against the rays where are we going here mike (laughs) well i will say this in boone's defense i think we've seen that the hot start i think you got to give him credit for that hot start last season because the roster has largely been unchanged from that point, and they're still not very good since then. So maybe Boone deserves a little of the credit. Honestly, this week is the first week I'm convinced this is the end of the road for Brian Cashman. The Domingo Herman incident, another one. The Rizzo incident, playing with a concussion. DJ LeMahieu looks finished. John Carlos Stanton, although the value is not, it's not a super high contract for the Yankees, it looks like a bad contract. The team looks old, and I really think that it's time to make a change. And I'll say one more thing, and I won't bring him up ever again, I promise. Estevan Florial, (laughs) why? Why is he not? The Yankees need a left fielder. He's putting up great numbers in AAA. If you really are worried about him not having another option, then you don't think he's good enough to stay on the major league level anyway, and so you should welcome the chance because if it doesn't work out, you don't think he can play anyway, and you just proved yourself right. I'm with you. You have a team that does not have a left fielder. The guy is killing it in AAA. What does he have, like 28 home runs or something like that? He's showing power. He's he's an actual left fielder. If he's not going to get a shot this year, when is he ever going to get a shot anyway? Why would you worry about his options? It's so ridiculous. Uh, And I do think the Stanton signing, 
was the start of the the decline from 2017. You thought that they would ascend, but that that move really ruined this franchise because they weren't able to sign other guys that became available after that. A Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, so on and so you know, and you end up with a team that really only has one superstar in Aaron Judge, and you don't win like that in baseball. So um, I don't believe it, though. I don't see. Uh, Cashman getting fired. He just got a four-year extension. You're probably going to be, be stuck with Cashman and Boone again last year. They're going to use injuries and, as an excuse for this year. You know, Rizzo wasn't right. He had the concussion. Aaron Judge with the toe. Rodon didn't uh, come uh, play until the All-Star break, uh, so on and so on, and excuse after excuse after excuse. So um, I, I really doubt Hal is going to move on from these guys. And And that being said... You know, who knows here? Yankees sit two and a half games out of the wild card. If they make the playoffs, that's the business model for these guys. They don't care about winning a championship. If they make the playoffs, Hal Steinbrenner will be satisfied and there will be no changes, Mike. Well, I would say this. I think that Steinbrenner might give Hal like a senior VP <laughs> position. There's a reason he hired Brian Sabian and Omar Anaya to be in the Yankees front office this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the move is we're going to make you a senior vice president, Brian, but you know, we're going to bring somebody else in to be the general manager. I could see that, but look at the trade deadline. What do you do with the trade deadline? You either make a trade to make your team better for this year, or you make a trade to make your team better for next year. And they didn't either. They stood <laughs> pat. They still, they're still defending this roster. I don't understand it. What am I missing? This team's barely above 500 and they're defending this roster. Like everything's fine. This is a good team. It's an old team. It's an injured team. It's an overpaid team. And I and, think this is it. I think it's got to be it. And they stink. That's another episode of the Rich and Mike Sports Show. We'll see you next time.